For me, one of the hardest things I've had to learn in doing pastoral ministry or full-time ministry has, uh, has been to be able to simply be available, to be present with my mouth shut. Shocker, I know. Preacher can't keep his mouth shut. But no, I'm serious though. I mean, one of the most difficult things for me has been to realize that not every time do I need to jump in and fix or give advice or counsel or solve a problem. Sometimes I can just be present and that's all that's needed. There's sometimes most stuff. You know this. You can't fix most stuff. And they say this in uh, like addiction recovery stuff. Hey, you can help, but you can't fix. But for some reason, that's been hard for me. That uh, I just want to jump in and start talking. There have been times where people have come to my office and asked me, well, they want some, they want to talk. And I find myself answering questions that they didn't even ask. So that's helpful. Where they would just, they start and I'm like finishing their sentence. You ever done that to somebody? Where you want to, hey, let's speed this up a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and finish your... I have struggled with something that someone smarter than me has once said. I've struggled with listening to understand. What I usually do is listen to reply. You see the difference? Let me say that again. I've struggled with, and maybe you have too, uh, listening for reply rather than listening for understanding. Right? It's the idea of tell me more. In fact, I took some coaching classes from Western Seminary several years ago, and one of the things they were trying to get us to say is this phrase, why am I talking right now? I don't know how many words that is. <laughs> Try it. Why am I talking right now? I realize I know why I'm talking right now. But you see the point. Sometimes we don't need to fill the space with words. I've been learning, I guess, in my journey. This is like a just confessional to you. I've been learning to just be able to be a ministry of presence. That I can just be in the room, I can be next to you, uh, and not have to feel like i got to say something. It's super hard. Maybe you struggle with that too. I don't know if that's something that you struggle with. Maybe you're someone that likes to finish sentences for your loved one or somebody else. Um, maybe you're someone who struggled with always listening to make a reply rather than listening to understand. And, and maybe you too need to memorize that phrase, why am I talking right now? So that someone else can have a word in edgewise. Struggled with that. It's tough for us. We want to fix. I get it with our kids, grandkids, people in our life. You know, we may have some wisdom and we sometimes want to go ahead and bestow that wisdom sometimes on people. But sometimes they're not ready to hear your wisdom or my wisdom. Sometimes, like timing can be just not right. And so maybe we do as a, as a, as a, as a church family or, or us together learn how this art of presence works. We can help but we can't fix. Consider that maybe this week as you're dealing with a neighbor or a coworker or somebody, instead of always jumping in, maybe you can be a ministry of presence. Now, you may be wondering, why are we talking about this? Well, we're going to talk specifically about a ministry of presence because Jesus is going to need one from some close friends. So if you have a Bible or a device, 
open up to Matthew chapter 26. And in there, we're going to see all about this ministry of presence. Hi, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you've joined us today, whether that be online or in person. We're gathered like this, like Christ followers all over the globe. We are one big dysfunctional family of faith. We meet on Sundays because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. And that tomb was empty and it changed human history forever, even up to today. And uh, so I'm excited that you've, you've made a point, a priority to be here. We're going to be talking about that ministry of presence in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus has his friends uh, there with him. And, um, but before we do that, can we just take a deep breath for a second? Count of three, one, two, three, bring it in. Hold it for a little bit. Let it out. There's a lot going around, a lot of, a lot of things going on in the world right now. A lot of heartache, a lot of violence, a lot of anger. Sometimes, I don't know if you feel the same way I do, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with these feelings, these frustrations. But the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the evil spirit forces that are existing in our world. It's a, it's a world we don't often get to see real clearly, but there's a spiritual battle going on behind every human behind every behavior, behind every action. And so why don't we lean in and pray together for all that's going on in the, in the world and even conflicts at home. And let's ask God and his spirit to move because it's his work, not ours. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We recognize there's crazy things going on, difficulties. People are suffering all over the world and even in our neighborhoods, in our town. And so, Lord, we, we humbly come before you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you step in? Would you do something? Would you do immeasurably more than any of us in this room could ask or imagine in these horrible situations? Father, we pray that your spirit would move powerfully to change lives and hearts as only you can do. This is a, a, a you-only type of movement where you can change hearts. So, Lord, we pray that boldly, but with much humility. Teach us through the scriptures today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able to, grab your Bible or device. I'm going I'm I'm to read the scripture. It's about 20 verses, and it uh, takes about a couple minutes. If you can, stand with me. That would be great. This is, this is important work right here that we're reading. From our, from our good friend Matthew, let's start with verse 36 of Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as, as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for a second time. He went away and he prayed, My father, if, if this cannot pass unless, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, 
Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of, one of those who, who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Wow, some, some heavy, heavy scripture here. Jesus is facing some tough hours ahead. He knows what's coming. Can't imagine knowing that sort of death was ahead of you and being able to even function, even to have a conversation, knowing what's ahead. And he's in agony. Do you see and feel the agony that he's feeling right now? He knows what's coming. And uh, he needed some friends. He needed some friends. He needed them to be with him. He just would just stay and watch with me. Peter, just for an hour, just stay, stay and watch with me. The God of the universe is asking a couple of dudes to just be present. Just the, the weight of that, just saying that out loud, is just beyond me. We just wait, watch with me. Just watch. And right, my soul, he told them, is grieved. It's just it's deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Just, just remain here. Just stay awake with me. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, and so since since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's a bit of a contrast, isn't it? How, how, how in the world... Could the writer of Hebrews tell us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame. That's big words. See, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if Jesus was joyful about the pain bit. I think he was seeing the other side of what it was going to do, the new kingdom that was going to be for all people, 
all tribes, tongues, and nations. That's probably the joy he was thinking of, but right now, there's not a lot of joy feeling right now. He is ready to face some of the worst pain imaginable. I think his full humanity is on display here. And he just wants some buddies. Would you just watch with me? He didn't really ask him to do anything. Like, hey, could you go get me a soda? He didn't say anything like that. Just, just be here. Be in this moment. Be in this garden with me. This was, you know, an olive garden. There was probably an olive press there. Probably within eyesight of the east wall of Jerusalem. You could see the Mount of Olives nearby. Here they are in this setting. And Jesus is looking in this city. And he knows what's going to happen. And he just wants some friends. He just wants some buddies. Be with me. There was an old hymn that we used to sing back in the day. And we actually had the hymnals. Anybody been to a church like that? Come on, come on. Old people unite in the room. <laughs> Didn't have the screens. And it was a hymn that was written in 1845. Long time ago. And it's called A Sweet Hour of Prayer. Let me just give you the first verse. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. I'm still singing it in my head. That calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return sweet hour of prayer. I love that hymn. Right now, Jesus is not facing a sweet hour of prayer. And he just wanted some, some ministry of presence. He wanted mouth shut. Just be with him. Watch with me. The longest night of his life, easily, and hoping for support, support from his three buddies. Now the scriptures tell us, Matthew says it was the, the sons of Zebedee and Peter. Who are the sons of Zebedee, you Bible scholars? James and John. They've been with him the whole time. Remember, he picked them up when they were fishing. His dad had the boat. Been with them three years. These are kind of his inner circle. You know, these guys have seen him walk on water, Raise people from the dead. Small things like that. Seen him for three years. So they're kind of this inner circle. And he's facing the hardest night of his life. And, and I get that they were exhausted. But he said, Peter, just an hour. Just give me an hour. Oh, the flesh is willing. or The, the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Just give me a time, guys. I just need some time. This is, a, this is tough. And, and, and likely, scholars think that he was in earshot of them, and most likely he was praying out loud. And what are they hearing? Well, when they were awake. <laughs> Before they drifted off, they're hearing him say stuff like, if there's any way possible, could, could we let this cup of wrath pass me by? Could we let this, this thing, is there any other way, any other way, Father, that your will can happen with all it's I'm facing? And so he's hearing, they're hearing likely this, this pleading. And Jesus is asking, Father, is it possible that I don't have to drink this cup of wrath? Now that's a loaded term. It goes all the way back into the Hebrew scriptures a long time ago. 
back to Isaiah, some of the prophets spoke of this cup of bitterness and how amazing that the God of the universe was about to do the drinking of that bitterness, that cup of wrath he was going to take on himself. Now, remember, James and John, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, their mommy wanted to get them in high placement in the kingdom. Do you remember this whole conversation where the mom of the sons of Zebedee, James and John's mom, comes into Jesus, hey, would you let him you know, kind of be the top guy over here, the top guy over here? In your kingdom, we want them to have leadership. And Jesus is like, huh, bless your heart. That's a, not always a good phrase in the South, but uh, just hear that. And, and he asks them a question. Are you willing to drink this, the cup that I'm going to drink from? Here, are you willing to drink that cup of wrath? And what do they say? Yeah, we're, we're fully ready. We totally know what's going on. No, they didn't. But they tell him yes. But then Jesus says, well, you actually will drink some of this cup of wrath. Not in the same way that Jesus is going to, but he's not pulling punches. He tells them the truth, that you will suffer for my name. They don't quite get it all, but that's that cup of wrath we're talking about. And Jesus is asking the Father, is there any other way? Is there a plan A, B, C, F, G? Is there another plan that we could, that would be equally as available? Um, so he's asking for that, but the friends can't stay awake. You know, I'm sure this has been exhausting for them. It's been a big week. You know, they're around the Jerusalem area. There's 250,000 people there for the, the festival. And I'm sure they're tired. There's, there's been a lot going on. But... Peter, could you, just, could you just give me an hour? You think you could, you could do that for someone? You say, Ben, could you just, just give me an hour? I don't want you to say anything. Are you willing to, to give it an hour? And he asked Peter, are you willing? But the flesh was weak. They were tired. And then the, the people come. And, and to, to make insult to injury here, not only can his three friends can't stay awake for him, to just be there to watch, a fourth friend comes up. One of the twelve. This isn't some rando. That's somebody that the Jewish leadership just pulled out of the crowd and said, you go get him. This is one of the twelve. Insult to injury, right? These are people that have been with him all this time. His friends are kind of letting him down a little bit here. Could you just wait? And here comes this mob led by Judas. And Jesus, he just, I don't know, in, in that moment, he doesn't shame Judas. Judas comes up and says, oh, greetings, Rabbi, kisses him on the cheek. And what does Jesus say to him? He calls him friend. Do what you came to do. I don't know in that moment I would have the ability to keep my emotions in check for now the fourth friend kind of letting me down in a way, in sort of a big way now. You know, this is our private area of prayer, Judas, and you just ruin it. Now, I have a heart for Judas too. I think he was confused. But look, gives him a kiss, and Jesus calls him friend even at that moment. And as you saw at the end of the passage, they all leave him. They all flee. They don't know what to do. I think they, they feel like they're at their wit's end. They don't know what else to do. Even 
sword swinging Peter, he's going to flee as well. I was reading one scholar, and they, they said this, that this was probably the last straw for the disciples. They must have been utterly stunned by all that was going on. This is not the Messiah they signed up for. They were surprised that Judas is leading this arresting posse, one of the 12. They're probably confused. Why are you here? Like, what's going on? They're confused that Judas leading this posse of, to arrest him, and, and then Peter has his unsuccessful attempt at resistance, which is weird. Obviously, he needed to learn a little bit more ninja swordplay because he's just cutting an ear off. I don't know what was going on there. I don't know what Peter was thinking, but he's just, he just doesn't know what to do. And, and Jesus rebukes him, and, and then instead of doing some, something miraculous, saving the day, here comes superhero Messiah, Jesus reason, reasoningly, calmly, collectively speaks with the people who held him. And the disciples felt like there's nothing more they could do. So they left him and ran away. They all did. All is significant. There was not one of his followers, not one of his inner circle, not one of the twelve that walked with him at this point. In fact, this is kind of where the women in the story take center stage. Because the women come in and from crucifixion to the resurrection, they're the first witnesses of all of it. And where are the dudes? Hiding. They all leave. They leave Jesus to suffer alone. Jesus calls Judas friend. Man. And you, feel, you feel the weight of that? Sometimes the scriptures just speak, you know, and then we just need to lean in. He was just wanting his buddies there, just wanting his friends. And Jesus speaks to his disciples probably as the, the mob is putting the shackles on him. Peter is putting away his sword. No. I guess one of the other gospel writers tell us that Jesus does re repair the ear, I think. And I don't remember which gospel writer said, gives us that detail. He does repair it, which is nice. That's interesting. But uh, while he's getting shackled, he looks at his disciples and says, you don't, you don't understand. Scriptures have to be fulfilled. Don't you think that I could call down like if I talk to dad right now, I could send, what, how, many, how many, 12 legions of angels. That's a Roman term. One legion in the Roman Empire was 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus is saying, look, more than 72,000 are at my disposal. Pause. If you, when you're going through a difficult moment, had the ability to call down 72,000. If you had that kind of firepower at your fingertips, how well would you score on that? Would you call him in? What a rough day I would. He could have done it. And he said, no, that the scriptures would be fulfilled. In fact, Jesus even takes a moment, and it's kind of a little dig. <laughs> Look, I was teaching in public all around you guys all week. You could have seized me there, but no. You take the cowardly route, and you, you get me here. But that the scriptures be fulfilled, God, your will be done. Man, Jesus realizes that there's, there's, there's one way, and it's going to lead through the cross. At this point, he's prayed, he's suffered in agony over this thing, and he's realizing the Father's will is going to lead to the fulfillment of everything that they've been waiting for. The Jews are missing it right now. Many of them are. But he's going to march through the will of God has always been from the beginning. 
God's going to take care of his sin problem once and for all. And so he's facing that. That's the joy probably, right, that he saw ahead of time. That's the joy. And this is a fulfillment. If you want to write this down, everything that's happening right now, you think Psalm 22. You know, they pierce my side. You'll find some phrases in there. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. That's the suffering servant passage. He was bruised for our iniquity. All of this scripture is being fulfilled. Zechariah 12 and 13 is all being fulfilled right here. And Jesus says, I will let the will of the Father happen. See, the divine course was set. This is one, one scholar said it this way. But Jesus, in his human nature, human nature, is struggling. At this time, of this, this moment, it's getting nearer. And it became even more horrifying to Jesus of Nazareth of Galilee. He's facing this. He's horrified. And Jesus is recoiling from this. Is there any other way, Father? Any other way? Jesus had dealt with temptation before to call down angels, to zap people. First time Matthew shows us was when he was out in a desert for a while, for about 40 days, which I think is about as far as you can go without food. Remember that in Matthew 4? And Satan comes to tempt him. And Satan's tempting him to take the easy way out. Rule this planet, not the universe. Not a great exchange there, but... Remember, he's tempted. Three different kind of big temptations. Satan takes him everywhere. You can have this, you can have this. And Jesus re responds with Scripture. He, he survived that temptation. I think that, that passage alone has the most understated statement in Scripture. After 40 days... He was hungry. Biggest phrase. But he survived that one. He also survived another temptation where as he's talking to his disciples, he says, you know, the Son of Man is going to be handed over to the Gentiles and they're going to mistreat him. And he's, you know, he's warning them of what's coming. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're Messiah superhero. Uh -uh. This is not going to happen to you. We'll never let it happen. And Jesus is kind of, kind of harsh, a little spicy with Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, don't tempt me to take the easy way out. Read it that way. Peter, you're my friend. Don't tempt me to take the easy way out. And he survives this sort of final temptation in the garden, even while everybody he loves fled. Now, if you're a, a Bible nerd like I are, you know that in Luke's gospel, it speaks of something that's happening while he's praying. And it's not in the earliest manuscripts. A manuscript is just like handwritten copy of the scriptures. We have thousands of them. Some of the early bits of those handwritten copies don't have this detail. And the detail is he's praying, and, and he's praying so earnestly in such an agony that his, his, his sweat becomes like drops of blood. Now, this, the text doesn't say they become blood, because if they were, that would be like a medical condition, and I'm not, I'm not a medical expert, but there's a, a, a condition, and I'm going to say it wrong probably, hemotidrosis, and that's the mixing of sweat and blood. Again, I think, and most scholars would disagree, this is a, Luke is using a metaphor. This is so much agony that it's looking like he's just sweating bullets. That's how we would say it now. He just, he's in agony. I don't know. I, I, keep, I keep thinking about the, the humanity of Jesus. What was your longest night? Have you had a long night? Have you had some time in a Gethsemane moment? 
Have you been in that valley of the shadow? Some of you might be in that now. How do you handle that? And, and you're earnestly praying. You don't know what's ahead. What was your longest night? Waiting for a kiddo to come home? Waiting for the birth of a first child or grandchild? And there's complications? Waiting, waiting to hear what the doctor has to say after that test? Being there at the end? What is your valley of the shadow? What is your Gethsemane? And how are you handling it? Jesus was earnestly praying. There's moments when you don't need anybody to fix it. You just need someone with you. Because Jesus may decide to heal our loved one on the other side. We don't know. What is your Gethsemane? And I think there's some encouragement here for some of us who have been praying for a long time for things. You cannot find a better example. If you can, tell me. I don't think you can find a better example of the Father saying no or not changing the course of action after earnest, faithful, agonizing prayer. Because essentially, Jesus realizes the answer is no. There's no other way you've got to drink this cup. Some of us feel like, I've been praying forever and ever and ever, and we might get the no or yes or maybe or not yet. Jesus himself is showing his earnest, heartfelt, faith-driven prayer. And it's a classic example of not getting what you might ask for in prayer through no fault of your own. God's will is bigger than our will. That's why Jesus even taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, praise be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven, not our will. Right? Heavy stuff. And Jesus is going through this and he's, he's modeling for us heartfelt, earnest prayer. But it doesn't always go in our favor. But it doesn't change God's love. What is your Gethsemane, I guess, today? What is it for you? Are you going through a valley of the shadow and you need God's presence? What is the issue? What are you wrestling with God over right now? I wonder what your Gethsemane is. In that moment, you may, you may need some people just to, to watch and pray with you. To be in the room. Call them up. Can you just pray with me? Can you just, just be? Don't fix it. Be. Jesus asked for his friends to be there with him. Maybe you're in a moment where you need some presence. You need some people just to shoulder hug you. You need some people in your court not to say anything. I'm, I'm reminded of Job back in the day in the old, old, old Hebrew scriptures where horrible stuff had happened to him and his, his friends come to visit him. And what do they do for seven days? They eventually do open their mouths, and that doesn't go so well. But the beginning of that has always been a comfort to me, that they came and they just sat with him in the dust and the ashes for a week. You may need a ministry of presence, but if you're not going through a valley of the shadow, if you're not in a Gethsemane right now, I'm guessing there's somebody in your life going through that. And you can be a ministry of presence. Maybe God is calling you this week 
to be a ministry today, to be a ministry of presence. Not to say anything. You're going to listen, not to reply and have a little. You're going to listen to understand and be in the moment. You're going to be. I would encourage each of you to pray about that. What is God asking you to do as a presence in someone's life? Be a ministry of presence. Let's, let's not rush to fix, prescribe, but just be a ministry of presence, listening for understanding. So I don't know if you're in a Gethsemane or you know someone who's going through a Gethsemane. Be a ministry of presence. Imagine if we in this room were people who are willing to sit with others, to go through a difficult thing and not have to answer it, not have to fix it, just be with them. I think that would be powerful. It's showing the compassion of Jesus in those moments where it's just silent. May that be our encouragement today. Lord, show us who needs a ministry of presence. Would you pray with me? Father, you're good and powerful, and we're so thankful for the scriptures. We're thankful for your son Jesus, the humanity that he shows us here. And that sometimes we do need to just be a ministry of presence for people in our life. Lord, would you give us the courage to do that? In other moments, Father, when we're going through a Gethsemane, would you give us the courage to pray your will be done on earth as in heaven? That we would yield to your will, even when it, it's not our will. That you, we would yield and say, yes, you have the best plan. So, Father, give us the courage to be a ministry of presence. Give us the courage in our Gethsemane moments to pray your will be done on earth as in heaven. And, Lord, may we give you glory as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.